Welcome back to episode 60 of Sporting Max. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link, connecting you and your business with the biggest stars in the world through events and experiences. Please welcome number 60, former Melbourne United Championship player, NBL broadcaster, commentator and analyst, Peter Hawley. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max. Today we're joined, like the voice of Melbourne just mentioned, 2017-18 Melbourne United Championship player and current NBL commentator and analyst, Peter Hawley. Welcome to the podcast, Pete. Oh, it's amazing to have you on. How are you going at the moment? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, long year, NBL, obviously, there's a mm-hmm. lot going on, but a lot of fun, a lot of games and uh, really enjoying everything that's happening. Get to watch a bit of footy now on the break. Boom is coming mm-hmm. up. Can't really complain too much, obviously. Um, when we're recording this, Victoria's doing pretty well in terms yeah. of what's happening in Australia. Let's <laughs> uh, but no, things are going pretty well. Um, so, Pete, where did you grow up and what was growing up uh, like for you? I grew up in uh, a place called Achunga in Handorf in the country mm-hmm. hills of Adelaide. I um, mm-hmm. was a farm boy, uh, always plenty of cows, a couple of horses, mm-hmm. better pig at one stage. So big time on the farm, doing a lot of stuff there with dad. Uh, so much so it would take about half an hour just to drive to the local like Woolies yeah. or Coles. <laughs> so a lot different to every other person's upbringing that's, that seems to play basketball. But no, it was fun. Um, mm-hmm. lot, a lot of basketball in the backyard, a lot of footy. My family's uh, big in footy, uh, royalty in Adelaide. My cousin plays mm-hmm. for Freo. Uh, so yeah, just a lot of country stuff, a lot of country Saturday spent at the local footy club. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I do miss the country lifestyle, that's for sure. So who's your cousin who uh, plays for Freo? James H. So I played, oh, wow. played for Collingwood for a couple of years, drafted mm-hmm. to Brisbane, uh, now found home in Fremantle and loving life over there. Mm-hmm. So, What was it like to grow up in Handorf? I, really, I went there over summer, but what's it like to sort of live near there for sort of your childhood and things like that? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, so I ended up going to high school down at Concordia, which is down uh, in the city, just on the edge of the city. Yeah. Uh, a lot of my friends would always say, and even my basketball friends who are from the city would always say they're going to go have lunch up in Handorf. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> no worries, I'll just walk down the street. Um, mm-hmm. It's different. It's You say it's like a country town, but that place gets mm-hmm. really busy on the weekends with tourists mm-hmm. and stuff. <laughs> um, there, was, uh, there was three pubs there when I was growing up. I don't know if there's any more, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, a lot of fun. I like being removed from the city. I'm not a massive city guy. Uh, just mm-hmm. living Melbourne now the traffic annoys me like crazy so uh-huh. <laughs> um, really enjoyed just the low-key style of the country living behind off was gorgeous I, I loved everything about living there mm-hmm. um can you expand on sort of your college experience and how you found sort of settling into college um I think it was at New York for the Albany Great Danes yeah it's uh it's an interesting one going over there didn't know too much about what I was going to be getting into luckily mm-hmm. there was already an Australian there uh Luke Devlin had played a year uh, Sam Rowley was going with me the same time so I got to fly over with an Australian mm-hmm. and that kind of helped me get settled uh, we went over there early because we had to go on a, a, a pre-season trip every four years you get to go on some sort of trip mm-hmm. um, a couple of years before that they went to France I think so we were mm-hmm. pretty excited to go somewhere and then they said we're going to Canada which was kind of flattening just to go uh-huh. on drive. <laughs> but it was fun uh, super hot because we went there in the summer i was in a dorm mm-hmm. with the other two aussies and i was like what what kind of living situation is this <laughs> the trip was fun in canada canada i just played games got to look around see all places in montreal all that kind of stuff 
then came back thinking I was going to get a nice big dorm room and got the smallest dorm possible on the <laughs> Me, Sam Rowley, who's about 6'6", six, six, a big guy, and mm-hmm. I wanted to leave after the first day. I think I told my assistant coach, I want to get out of here. I can't live like this. Mm-hmm. But we ended up staying there. He Luckily, he got a girlfriend really early, so I barely saw him because we had bunk beds. <laughs> we had bunk beds oh, inside wow. as my freshman year, and I was like, this can't be serious. And they got a lot better from that. Mm-hmm. So what was your freshman year like and what degrees did you sort of complete um, throughout your college career? Uh, freshman year was tough. Uh, mm-hmm. I broke my foot my third game. We were playing at Syracuse. Oh, Dion, Wade, Dion Wade has stepped on my foot um, mm-hmm. and broke my foot, which was really annoying because I was going to be like sick man and I was really excited to mm-hmm. come over here and have a big impact, um, uh, which was really tough. But then I realised I get to redshirt uh, and do yep. a year in the end, uh, medical redshirt. <clears throat> But uh, so originally I was going to do uh, a journalism degree and a psychology minor. Mm-hmm. Uh, once I broke my foot, my coach told me that because I can do another year, I can do two majors and just spread them out over mm-hmm. five. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that sounds good. Uh, but I, I always enjoyed school. So I ended up getting that done early so I could get a mm-hmm. master's. Uh, and that became the point of how do I get, I got my two majors. What master's program do I want to do? I've only got another year left at the school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to do clinical psychology. I would have loved to have been a sports psychologist, uh, but that was like three and a half years. I didn't have time to do that because I wanted to play pro a little bit. So I ended up doing communication, mm-hmm. what, I, what I wanted to get into if I wasn't a sports psych and did that program, which was about two years in a year, uh, most stressful year of my life, but got it done and, and just did a, a thesis while I was living in England playing professionally. Um, now, in your sophomore year, um, I believe you were awarded with the Reggie Lewis Most Outstanding Player Award. Um, what was that like for you? Yeah, it was cool. Uh, just to be, I mean, the list of names is pretty elite for, from guys mm-hmm. who won that. And I was lucky enough to win back-to-back with that. Um, probably robbed mm-hmm. someone of it the second time, but it was still, <laughs> just to get those, those recognitions, I think. The most important thing was the, it meant we were going to the championship, uh, to the tournament, and that was the, mm-hmm. the coach always said, he just wants people to experience going to the tournament at least once. And I got to do it three times. And mm-hmm. uh, obviously the, the MVP of the tournament is going to be from the winning team. So that's what it meant. And the private jets, all that kind of stuff, it was pretty big when you're a small school. Uh, and then you come and play with guys like Casey Prayer, who told me that he had a private jet every single day. <laughs> Uh, it was a fun experience, uh, that's for sure. But, yeah, it's those memories that I'll never forget. Now, you mentioned sort of being um, making that sort of thing was Division One. You're one of the only people, um, I think, in Albany's sort of history to ever make that division sort of three times. So what's that like to, you know, be a part of history? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's Sam Rowley, other than from, he was from New South Wales, myself and one of our walk-ons. Uh, who are the only three-time conference champions. And it's cool to, to know that, to know you're in some elite uh, in elite categories, something that you obviously always remember. Um, yeah. Probably we've had four, but we decided to really lose terribly in my last year. But no, nah, just a really special thing to always look back on. And they've always been talking about whether that means sound my numbers will be retired or all this kind of stuff. It's, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, don't, you don't think too much about that until it happens, but it's just always good to know eventually when you have a family and stuff, you get to look back on. Uh, being at the top of the record books because everyone everyone gets better as players uh, mm-hmm. and that's all happens. So whatever scoring record you have is probably going to always get broken, but winning is always harder to do. So that's something that will always be there. Um, now winning those sort of America's East Basketball Tournament Championships, 
Um, I've read that you hit a game winner with 1.6 seconds left of the game um, to win the championship. Um, can you take me through these moments? Uh, yeah, wild. Uh, people still play it to me. I still see it. I still talk about mm -hmm. it. So uh, something that, again, it's always going to live there on the internet now. And uh, really emotional thing. It was eight weeks after my mum passed away and I'd come back home to uh, Australia. So it was really emotional to be able to try and celebrate that, knowing that I felt she had a massive impact on that shot going in. Yeah. Um, we hadn't hit a three in the entire game. As a team, we were down seven with just over a minute to go. And then we're at home. The entire fan base from Stony Brook was ready to storm the court. And we somehow got it back to that. And uh, yeah, 1.6 seconds to go. They didn't have a timeout. They didn't get a shot off. <laughs> Everything went scripted like a movie, like a miracle. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was, yeah, the, that was the third championship in a row. And everything just kind of hit me. There was obviously a lot of tears and celebrations mm -hmm. eventually, but it's hard because you go straight into uh, Selection Sunday and then you end up mm -hmm. facing Buddy Heald in the first round. And <laughs> don't get a time to really breathe. What's that like to face off and that experience of facing off with a player like Buddy Heald who's going on to play for Sacramento Kings? Yeah, it's it's crazy to be honest. Uh, you mm -hmm. never really think of it. I think the first big matchup, yeah, would have been that Syracuse game when I broke my foot. Dion Waiters, um, there's a few other guys there. Uh, Christmas, um, Trish, Brandon Trish, all these guys that I was like, wow, this mm -hmm. is insane. Uh, mm -hmm. And then every year before you made the tournament, you play like the money games where the small schools, uh, the big school will will pay you uh, to go and beat up on you in that first game. And I think. A couple of those we had. Um, Pittsburgh was the first game of my college career. Uh, I think fourth year we played Kentucky. So we played Jamal Murray, um, Scout of <laughs> uh, Aaron Craft played Ohio State. Uh, but then in the tournament, so the first year we won, we played uh, Duke. I think we were uh, 14 mm -hmm. seed or uh, 15 seed. Seth Curry had 38 or something ridiculous. Oh, wow. so, <laughs> I think we only lost by seven or something and I had an unlucky bounce where we thought we, we should have had that game. We should have had that game. Uh, one, uh, Plumley was there. Uh, Quinn Cook was there. Uh, wow. second, second year, we had a playing game. We won that. And then we played Florida overall number one seed. That's Casey Prather, who ended up being my teammate. From Melbourne, mm -hmm. Melbourne. Um, Pat Young, Scotty Wilberkin, um, Michael Frazier, all these guys. Uh, Finney Smith from the Mavs. That was cool. We should have won that game, we thought, too, but lost by, I think, nine or something. And then Buddy Hield was – it was wild because everyone was talking about Buddy Hield and I, but a big mm -hmm. shootout, who was going to play the best. And I think we shot combined like three of 20 from three. It was <laughs> disgusting. Um, I think we only lost by nine or something again. So we always had a challenge in the tournament, uh, but it was always just a crazy experience to go up against these guys you look at now in the NBA. So moving out of college, how do you reflect on your time in the college system? I uh, loved it. Uh, I wish I, I guess, lived a, a bit more of it because it goes mm -hmm. so quick. It's crazy. I look back, someone's asked me now. Uh, it was five years ago that I was there and I, it wow. does not feel like that uh, at all. Um, and I was there for five years, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's just funny. It, it's tough because you're so far away, I guess, being an Australian from where you are. Mm -hmm. I mean, Furthest, nearly the furthest possible place away in America, yeah. upstate. Um, but it's cool. Like you, every, it's really everything's on you. Like you're going to be good with your time. You're going to be good mm -hmm. with your homework. All this kind of stuff. So you get out what you put in. I know it's cliche to say, but 
awesome experience. And then you get to experience the fun side of college. Everybody's staying together. You've got parties, you've got all this kind of stuff. And you just grow to realizing uh, the importance of every little part of it because you can't just go through being completely locked in. You'll burn out. So if you find the balance like I did, it's one of the best times of your life. So after college, um, I believe you were headed for England and the British Basketball League. Why did you decide um, to go to, I guess, England and play there? I had no choice in the end, actually. I got a, <laughs> I got a contract through to sign with the Townsville Crocs in the NBL, mm-hmm. and I was pumped for that, ready to sign with Townsville. And then the next day, they folded as an organisation. Oh, no. There was no one left. Everyone had been, because I was asleep during the time, uh-huh. everyone else had been picked up by, uh, I think it might have been like Mitch Norton and all that were there already, uh, and they found mm-hmm. you. So I was, I was just out of luck and uh, my dad played, my dad was born in England. So I've got an English passport, played soccer there. So I was like, oh, I'll play in England. Reese Carter was on the team and that kind of worked out that I'd go over there uh, to try and play my first professional gig. And it was around the time that Brexit was happening. So mm-hmm. normally an English passport means I can play anywhere as a local in England. Uh, with Brexit, it means I can only play in England, which is, uh, wasn't ideal. But uh, yeah, it was an interesting experience. It's something... It didn't work out for me. I didn't get treated very well. I was in a pretty bad way mentally, but um, still it's a chance to, be, to play basketball and get paid for the first time, which is always a nice feeling. I mentioned playing uh, alongside Reese Carter. We've recently had him uh, on the podcast, by the way, and then you went on to sort of be with him um, at Melbourne United. Um, what was that like to sort of play with a veteran and sort of such an experienced player like Reese? Well, we've come full circle recently. I actually, before I went to college in 2009, I was training with Adelaide 36ers the entire year. Uh, he was, So that's how I met him and we've become really good friends from that. Um, so I, I felt like I was part of that Sixers team. And when I knew that he was in England, it was kind of a no-brainer to get to play alongside him. I know uh, how good he is and what he could, talk, could, what could teach me as my first year pro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then by the time he started being at Melbourne, it was just, it was career come full circle. I've been learning from yeah. Now he was coaching me and um, he just obviously won a title with United. So it deserves every part of the success he's had. He's a great bloke, great family and uh, really enjoyed everything I've had to do with him. So do you notice any major differences between um, the style and gameplay between, say, playing in England or playing in the uh, NBL? Yeah, I mean, it's not the strongest league over in England. Uh, I Mm -hmm. think the top three or four teams would be really good. I think they'd probably, they'd comfortably win the NBL one, uh, the mm-hmm. top four teams. But then you've got a jam of the middle teams who, who'd be okay. And then you've got a bottom like four or five. This is when I played. I don't know if it's different. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't great at all. Um, and it's the style of play. Yeah, you've still got the imports mm-hmm. there. And there's some really good imports. Don't there were some tough games and stuff like that. But the NBL is always just a flat out battle with, yeah. Pros, pros, like guys who have been around the league before. I mean, you've got guys like Chris Golding, one of the best scorers that we've seen, and all this Casper Wears, all these kind of guys. So it's just it's day and night to compare, but uh, the experience of it, you've still got to do to appreciate how good the NBL is. And um, even still, I played in Plymouth in England, was the, the the town right down the bottom, and we had to get on a bus for ten hours the day of the game, like we. <laughs> Damn, we play at six o'clock at night and it was horrendous. So mm-hmm. you appreciate what you've got when you come to the NBL. I'm returning home to Australia uh, to play for the Ballarat Miners in the Seabull. How did that decision um, to move home and come back to Australia come about? Yeah, it was hard. I actually spoke to Reese about it because I was, I mean, I've got a, a whole blog that I never released about uh, the way I was mistreated in England. Um, and I just, I didn't want to quit because it was my first job and I didn't think I'd get another one. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and races like, look, at the start of races, like you, you don't want to quit your first pro gig. You, you'd be struggling to get another one. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, so I just tried to stick it out. And then like a month later, <laughs> came to me and said, mate, if you want to play pro ever again, you've got to quit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was in a bad way. I, I actually went to the general manager and said, look, this is what's happening. I, I need to leave. And he said, no problem. Didn't know that. Hope all is well. And mm-hmm. then he called me on the way home and said, you've got to be moved out uh, and checked out of the apartment with the car back in two hours. And I had my oh, girlfriend, wow. like, what is going on? And yeah. <laughs> quickly packed everything up. We actually slept on Reese's toddler's bed for the night and then went to London. <laughs> Uh, and I told my agent, I said, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere else. Like, I've been away from my family. This didn't work mm-hmm. out. If I don't play uh, in Australia, I'm not going to play again. I'll just get a job. Um, and then he said Ballarat popped up. They want, wanted a point guard. And I said, mm-hmm. oh, it's, it's reasonably close close enough for my family. So I jumped at that. Uh, and then again, I told him, I said, look, I'm not going overseas. If I don't play NBL, I don't play mm-hmm. anywhere. I told my assistant coach, Nathan Cooper-Brown, uh, who ended up being my head coach there. Uh, good mate, a really good mate of mine. I said, look... I want to make the NBL, and if I don't, then I'll play NBL one and see ball, and we'll go mm-hmm. from there. Uh, play had a really good season. I had a lot of lucky breaks as well, but ended up getting a chance, which was tough to get, but I was happy the way it worked out. So how did you earn that spot um, at Melbourne United ahead of their 2017-18 championship campaign? Uh, it was weird. So my agent said, look, every team's full but Sydney Kings. He said they've got mm-hmm. a couple of spots left. They're having a rookie camp in Sydney for two days on Monday and Tuesday. You've got to be there if you want to have any chance. And I, I said, look, I'll do it. You got to, we had to pay our own way there. So it's not like they're going to pay. So yeah. <laughs> unfortunately for Ballarat, we were playing in Tasmania for a doubleheader that weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, we to fly out of Tassie at 11.30 at night on a Sunday. And I had to be on a plane at 6 o'clock from Melbourne to Sydney on the Monday <laughs> Landed about one o'clock. I slept on the little benches at the airport, went straight mm-hmm. off the plane, got there, was so tired, did the camp. And my agent called me and said, Gage, Andrew Gage was the coach at the time. He said, he said, you were one of the best there. And I was absolutely spent. I was like, okay, great. Mm-hmm. Does that mean I've got a spot? He said, no, they're taking a team to China um, to oh. really check how it's going to go. And I was like, I've been on plenty of China tours with Australian teams. And I was like, well, oh, I don't want to do this. And But again, I didn't want to regret any opportunity so I said I'll do it mm-hmm. uh, I went over there with it was supposed to be 10 guys who were all competing for I think there was two spots there might have been three I, I think there was only two Sydney King spots left yeah uh, Dane Pinot was the only Sydney rostered player at the time so he was a part of it got to the airport and Gazy said a couple of guys visa issues didn't go through so we only had eight going away to this tournament mm-hmm. uh, landed one guy uh, did his MCO I think they sent him home, so we only had seven. And then Dane does his ankle in the first quarter of the first game. So we, had <laughs> uh, we had to suit up our strength and conditioning coach. We were down 20 at halftime to a USA Summer League select team. And Gazy just gave this speech of, look, we're, we're not here to win the thing. We're not here to win games. We just want to see who we want to sign. Uh, good opportunity for everyone to play a lot of minutes. We came back and won that. We won the, every game, went undefeated, won the thing. <laughs> I got MVP of the tournament, and it was just, and the wildest trip I've ever could have been a part of. Um, and my agent said that Sydney had offered me a deal. And then at the time, Dan Dillon, sorry, two weeks before that, had torn his Achilles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melbourne United were looking at me um, and they were just following me. And then Melbourne United found out how well I did over there and uh, decided to offer me a, a contract. So I ended up taking that because I was in Melbourne, didn't want to move again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's how that came about. It was a crazy couple of months.
<laughs> so what's that crazy few months like where you're in China and you're trying to play for Sydney Little? Do you know Melbourne United are like um, scouting you and checking you out and seeing how you're playing? You don't even know that. Well, I, I, I did know that. I left that part out. They, they told me beforehand that Van Dillon did his Achilles and they were interested. But I think mm-hmm. at the time they wanted Will McDowell-White. He was floating around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like, oh, okay, that's not going to happen. doesn't matter. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and then um, something must happen with him and me playing well meant that they could come and say, look, we want to have, we want to get you. And I felt bad at the time for Sydney. Um, I mean, I'm good friends with Gazy and he's just one of the mm-hmm. best people in the entire world. Um, he just taken me away, give me an opportunity. And then I went mm-hmm. to Melbourne, but uh, it worked out well for me in the end, but um, yeah, it was a crazy, crazy few months to be able to know that every single game was so important. Mm-hmm. Now, um, in that season with United, we've recently had uh, Josh Boone on the podcast and gotten his perspective on this, but it was game two, overtime, semi-final series versus New Zealand, um, 2017-18. 2.9 seconds left of the game. Josh ends up getting blocked, grabs his own board, and then wins the game. What are your memories and can you take me through this play um, in these moments? Yeah, um, unreal memory. We'll remember it all the time. Uh, I, I can't remember even how I played the fourth. I might have played a little bit at the start of the fourth and then I sat and mm-hmm. um, I think Chris was the one who got fouled off. So I got thrown in at the end and uh, <laughs> no one, this is a, a team that we were so close and understood all situations that we didn't need a timeout. So we kind of like mm-hmm. brushed sides saying we, we know what play we're going to run. Mm-hmm. Um, it was funny because it's actually a play that the Breakers have won, used to win. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was a title a few years ago. <laughs> and I was in charge of just mm-hmm. setting the, the up screen for Booney and it did enough to like knock Rob Lowe off. Uh, and mm-hmm. Booney made a good cut and Tom Abercrombie came out of nowhere to block it. I was <laughs> like, where did he come from? And then Booney's awareness to catch it and put it straight back in. Everyone thought mm-hmm. we were going to... Uh, I'm not sure. Were we tired or down? I can't even remember. We might have been tired. Oh, I think you were tired, yeah. Yeah, so everyone was expecting double overtime. And I was the only one who fully celebrated. I knew we got it off in time. I knew it was counted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Booney knew that it was okay once he saw my reaction and everyone else was going crazy once they saw the replay. But, mm-hmm. yeah, epic to, to get into the grand final series that way, to sweep the breakers on their home floor. Um, mm-hmm. That was, yeah, another good memory that you can look back on. Um, now, you guys won the championship in game five versus the Adelaide 36ers, and you played an influential role um, in this game. Can you take me through the game and what that was like for you? Yeah, nervous, really nervous. Uh, just Adelaide was my hometown. Um, mm-hmm. we had, it was a tough battle, to be honest. Uh, the first two games we played at home, so game one and three, it was mm-hmm. a battle. We, we we got lucky to get away with a couple of those wins. When we played in Adelaide, they just beat us up. We weren't even close. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember uh, going into warm-ups and Golding came up to me and was like, you're doing all right. I was like, I'm a bit nervous, mate. And I was like, he's like, it will be all right. And I said, I reckon you're built for these kind of games. <laughs> and he turned to me and he's like, I feel like I am too. And I was just like, what is And the game was, the game was over a quarter time. Chris put yeah. it to bed a quarter time. It was insane. One of the best performances I've seen. That's when I knew that this dude was just a freak when it came to big games. Um, mm-hmm. And we just went from there. And every time I kept thinking, like, can't celebrate now because they're going to come back. They're a good team. But we just kept making big plays. And then, yeah, to, to get that win was awesome. That's a, another unreal experience that kind of just ticked the last remaining box of what I wanted to achieve um, in terms of playing basketball. But, yeah, a lot of fun, a great group, and glad that we could be a part of United's first title. 
So Carrick Felix that season, he sort of came in for Casey Prather and then he could have, when Casey came back, he could have just left the team and said, no, like, damn this, I'm going home. But he decided to stay and, you know, see the team through and watch them win a championship. Uh, I've seen, having a lot of good teammates and, like, really good people. Carrick Felix up there is one of the best mm-hmm. just people you can have as being around a part of a team. Um, bonded with him from the jump. I thought he was just what he want, what he wanted to do for the team was incredible. And you're right, I think to stay around and be part of it. He made a highlight tape to hype us up before game four mm-hmm. that he was up all night trying to do. Uh, unfortunately, we came out and was disgusting. We were down 20 at halftime. So <laughs> Uh, but no, just a, a great person. Still keep in touch with him. Um, can't say enough about just the type of character he is and what he's doing away from basketball. Uh, he actually, before he left, he, he challenged me that if I ever got a dunk in any sort of game, he'd buy me a pair of AirPods. Mm-hmm. Got a dunk from Ballarat, and next year, <laughs> I picked up the AirPods from Southland, and I was like, "You're a good bloke." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you talked about sort of like the freaky athlete Chris Golding is. Um, he dominated the start of that game in game five. And then this year, 20, uh, 2021, NBL 21, game, what was yeah, game three, sorry. He's come out and within the first four minutes or three minutes of the game, he's knocked down three threes and a couple of them were just insane. So what was that like for you to watch him and go, you know, that's just Chris Golding? Uh, honestly, I was calling it all leading up to the game. I said Chris mm-hmm. is the better quarter time. And then he got subbed off in five minutes and I was so flat because it gave perfect <laughs> Because I thought this is exactly what he does. He's just a mm. big shot taker and a big shot maker. Um, but yeah, it's it's something when you play with these guys, you know what they're capable of, and everyone has their different times when they like to shine. And as I said, big moments he steps up. Uh, but that that whole grand final series was just a credit to the Wildcats how they could fight for all that. It was absolutely mm-hmm. insane to see them really take every single game down to the wire without without the league's best player. Yeah. And uh, everyone else just stood up. But, yeah, really admirable for what they did. Um, now, after one more season um, with United, you decided to make the move into the media side of basketball and the NBL. How did you find that transition between playing and then being in the media? Uh, pretty easy. I, I knew it was something I eventually wanted to do or try. Um, mm-hmm. My love for media started 2007 in year 11, uh, work experience. I was I did mm-hmm. work experience over for a week with, uh, Akmal Saleh, Ed Cavalier, Cal Wilson. And I was like, this is so much fun. This is what I want to uh-huh. do. Um, then did a little bit of media, obviously, during college. Uh, and then once that second year of United came around, as I said, once I won a title, it was kind of, I started losing the joy mm-hmm. for possible being, when, you, when you're not one of the main guys and you, you think about setting up your family. And we've had some, yeah. I had seven times in three years and um, I had my uh fiance I got in proposed at that time she was from America and she had to change jobs and just wasn't in a very good state mentally uh was really struggling with who I was and what I was becoming away from the court I felt like I was just mm-hmm. being a really bad um fiance when I got home and I had to try and make a change so uh went to Melbourne first and said look can I do media mm-hmm. play again next year and luckily they were really good and helped me be part of their media team to give me that jump um, and then I just went to the NBL and said, look, I, I went to school for media. I'd love to be part of the commentary team, courtside. Um, had plenty of moments where I thought a couple of questions we got asked during the years I was playing, oh, I thought I could uh-huh. do it better. Um, and <laughs> they were a bit hesitant at the start, I think, because they didn't know too much about what I could do. And I was only played two years, but gave me an opportunity uh, and they seemed to like what I did. And I was really grateful for that because, as I said, this is something I, I always wanted to do and get into 
Um, and now I get to learn every single day still from some of the best that are. I know you've had Liam on here. Liam's mm-hmm. one of the best analytics guys. There is the, the way he knows the game is insane. And Daisy, mm-hmm. uh, one of the best people. And you just keep learning every year. And it's, it's been a lot of fun and hopefully still early in it all. So how do you, what's it like for you and how do you find sort of as a sideline reporter and commentator chatting to players and coaches? I love it. Uh, that's, yeah, again, one of the main reasons I wanted to do was I think I know all the players and all the coaches, even the new guys that come in, I've got that rapport with them and having played against them and knowing a lot of them that uh, I just feel like there's a better connection to be able to give a better product to the viewers. Um, I can ask those certain questions that perhaps they wouldn't be comfortable talking to other people about. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was the big first thing I wanted to do was to be that sideline guy, to be able to get guys to be able to open up a little bit more and give a little bit more to the viewers and the fans. Uh, and hopefully it does lead into some more stuff that I want to try and do with with players in terms of opening up who a certain player is rather than just seeing what they do on a basketball court. Now, I spoke to you about it before the podcast, the NBL of Rumor Mill, uh, Mitch McCarron going to Adelaide. What do you think um, and how he's going to go at Adelaide? Uh, yeah, I mean, it'd be awesome for him. Uh, again, he's been a really good mate of mine since we were, had a couple of Australian camps together. Uh, just a guy that I've always got along with, um, just continued to work on his game. And he's the ultimate team guy like in terms of a culture. And uh, if that's what the Sixers get from losing Josh Giddy, they're going big places because they get mm-hmm. a bit of everything and they just get a phenomenal person to lead like that franchise. So um deserves everything he gets deserves a big payday and uh couldn't be happier for him for wherever he whatever his future holds uh he just had a baby with his wonderful wife so really excited for everything that could come his way now we thought that the jack jumpers were going to get that package deal with nick k and mitch norton um obviously nick case um sort of overseas now do you think mitch norton's still going to happen or after the final series he's had he's going to stay with perth no, I was the same. I thought it was Kane Norton for sure. They were going to open up with that. But I wouldn't be surprised if he stays at Perth now. I don't think Perth mm-hmm. would want to... You don't want to lose the guy who became literally the heart and soul of the Wildcats. I mean, yeah. uh, it was Damian Martin until Norton came in and then Damo just slowly gave that mm-hmm. heart and soul tag to Mitch Norton and he showed it playing through injury. So uh, I think he wouldn't want to leave too far now. And him and Nick K are really close. They've been close for mm-hmm. a long time. They're playing a lot together so I think that would have had a, a little part of it as well but um, now nah, I think the Jack Jumpers are going to have to find something elsewhere. And Melbourne United inked uh, signed a new deal with Joe Luala um just the other day on a one-year deal to return for NBL 22 obviously he's going to be stepping into sort of much larger role who else do you think they should go out and get to sort of fill that void of now McCarran most likely Landau and things like that? Yeah, it's going to be a tough, I mean, it's a quick off-season, so United are going to have to do some big things. Mm-hmm. And um, Luckily, they got a lot of contacts, and if it's back to three imports, they're going to load up with mm-hmm. some really good imports, you'd think. Chris Golding's still there as their main piece. Um, Scotty Hobson would be a good signature to get, uh, to mm-hmm. be able to say, you, it's not a bench role anymore, you're coming yeah. in with three, um, which I'm sure he'd be interested in. If they're, I'm sure they're having those talks. Um, yeah, the five spot will be interesting, whether they run with uh, Luala Chul, get Hobson mm-hmm. Uh, they're probably going import four and import one because um, Jack White's obviously going to miss probably the whole season again with still yeah. no kill, which just sucks. I think he's a future Super Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, really tough for him, but um, he's going to come back better from that. But it does give the chance for potentially United to go import Golding, Hobson, import Luala Chul. So yeah. 
see how all that goes. I'm sure we'll get some big signings soon. A lot depends on what happens with that mm-hmm. the Chinese basketball league with those rules. If they don't let any foreign players come in, all of a sudden we might see a big influx of some big names. Now, Adam Ford, new Kent's Taipans coach, coming off um, a fantastic season, I think I'll describe for Sydney. What he done with that team, and he didn't have a lot of his high quality and talent, um, top quality and talent. How do you think he's going to go at the Taipans and how he sort of fits their culture? I think it'd be great. Uh, one of the, my favourite guys to, to interview, Adam Forty, always is happy to talk about it, no matter what the situation of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, he's just a real players coach. And I think that's exactly what the type ends will look forward to. Machado and Ken Mold will really buy into that. Um, they still obviously need another piece. However, um, uh, they get some sort of wing. If DJ Newville wants to pop back up, then they can try and get that band back together. And again, this is all saying if Cam Oliver does come back, we know what he did in the back end of the NBA season. So a lot would ride on that, but I think Adam Ford will do some really good things. Oh, now you've got a podcast named Trash Talk for Sports Bet with Felix Von Hoff. Can you tell me about this? Yeah, uh, we're finished for the season now, but yeah, it just mm-hmm. came about. Um, they had a few different guys come and go. So Felix asked a good mate of mine and uh, just always a good banter with him. Um, I never get a word in, likes to talk a lot more. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just a, a nice little, mm-hmm. I guess, different kind of podcast in terms of you can kind of say whatever you want and have a bit of fun and a bit of banter away from just the everyday news. So I think the NBL needs more more stuff like that for for people to be able to get some bit some news while still having a, a good time uh, listening to it. Um, now, have you got any advice um, for me to get in, get to the next level and get into sort of sports commentating or broadcasting or radio? Uh, I think you're doing everything the right way. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. reaching out to everybody, that's the best way to do it. And that's, I mean, that's what I did when I got to uh, my second year. Uh, I said to the NBL, I just wanted a chance and you just got to keep following up with emails. And mm-hmm. a lot of the time I felt like I was just getting to that point, I'm going to be annoying to them. But again, yeah. <laughs> the way I, I was thinking of it is, if I end up getting that annoying tag from him, I'm in the same spot as if I didn't do it, which is a no. So what's yep. the word? And um, I just kept pressing that. And then just when you do get your opportunity, just be ready to roll mm-hmm. um, and enjoy every step of the way. And I've had plenty of times where you get the nose thrown at you and you have to take different paths. I mean, I, I do a lot of keynote speaking. I talk about how it's never too late to change your path. I thought I'd play professional mm-hmm. for as long as I could. And after three years, I said, no, nah, I don't want to do this anymore. So you're never too late to change your path. If, as long as you're happy, then that's the main thing. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Pete, for uh, coming on the podcast today and sharing your story. It's been incredible and an amazing honour to uh, have you on. Thanks, mate. Good to talk to you. Thanks, Pete. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sporting Max. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify or YouTube. And be sure to follow our socials. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link. This is The Voice of Melbourne, and we'll see you back here real soon for another episode of Sporting Max.